Amen. Well, I really like that last song. <laughs> that we can't boast in anything but the cross, man. It's, I don't know. That was powerful for me. Thank you, guys. That was really inspiring. Well, I just want to welcome you guys to Church at Five. And uh, if this is your first time, this is the fully English service of Calvary Chapel Freiburg. And uh, today, actually, I want to start by kind of uh, letting you guys know about something that was announced this morning that's a part of Calvary Chapel as a whole, because we are one church, and so we want to kind of let everyone know what's going on. So if you weren't there this morning, I want to just kind of let you know that if you didn't know right now, if you wanted to give, or if you wanted to kind of donate money, you know, give financially, kind of an offering to the church, right now we have these boxes at the back or you can, where you can put money in or you can fill out a, uh, a bank statement to transfer the money directly into the Calvary Chapel account. And, um, but starting in the next few weeks, the date hasn't actually been set yet, but at some point in the near future, we're going to go to taking up an offering kind of more the uh, traditional way of the basket being passed throughout the congregation. And um, there's a lot of reason for that, uh, but if I was to just kind of shortly express it from my own heart, I think that, uh, you know, giving is such an important part of our kind of uh, worship to God, that uh, the Bible is full of examples of giving the first fruits. And especially, you know, we want to be very clear that we believe in free will giving. It's not something that we're trying to get from you, but uh, we see in the Bible that God, especially in the New Testament, where there's just an opportunity always for the people to come together and to give together to the community of the church. And so, that's a big part of the reason why we're switching to this. And again, the date isn't set. Uh, I will let you know. A lot of it is logistics. Of We have to have ushers and the kind of logistics of how that will actually take place. But we want to keep you guys updated on what's happening with the church. So that will be something that's happening down the road. Uh, this week is our last week of Galatians. And uh, that means next week we're starting a new series. It's going to be called, uh, it's going to be looking at uh, Judges. Heroes and Villains, I like that kind of comic book theme, and there's a reason for that, because we're going to be looking at it a little bit differently, so we're not going to be going through the text kind of verse by verse, but we're going to be looking at these characters, these judges, these people that uh, are in the book, and we're going to kind of single out a few of them, and look at their examples, look at how they lived, look at what they did right, what they did wrong, and also looking at the Israelites who go through this cycle of following God, turning away from him, and then falling into the consequences of that, and then repenting and, and kind of asking God, what happened, you know, help me. And then he sends these judges to come and be the Savior, which is a, just a great representation of what Christ has done for us. So there's twofold. We can kind of look at it as the Israelites and kind of our, the cycle of life that we go through where we kind of fall back into mistakes again and again at times. But also we can look at the judges themselves and how God called them, how God used them, and how God kind of molded their lives. So that's going to be next week, so I encourage you to come check it out. Um, last week we finished, we went through all of, or finished off chapter 5, where we spent quite a lot of time. And we looked at the Holy Spirit, so it's all about who the Holy Spirit is and what it looks like in our lives. And uh, we, last week we 
singled out that all true believers, if you're a Christian, if you look as, at, at Jesus as your Savior, then you have the Holy Spirit. As soon as we come to a relationship with Jesus Christ, and we saw this in the text, that the Holy Spirit comes and dwells within us, that Paul says no man can say that Jesus is Lord apart from the Holy Spirit. So when we declare Christ as our Savior, that is because the Holy Spirit has worked that in us. So if you are a believer, you have the Holy Spirit. And that's good news because we also looked at how we all have this longing in us to live a righteous life, that we want to do the right thing. We want to live a right life before God. But it's impossible. It's impossible to live right before God on our own. But the good news is is that we don't do it on our own. We have the Holy Spirit who lives within us, who's transforming us and molding us and changing us from the inside. And uh, we looked at Romans 7.17. I'll just read it really quickly. I do not understand what I do. What I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. There's a lot of do's in that verse. So, and we looked at how this is this kind of aspect of a battle that's happening between inside of our hearts, a battle between our spirit and our flesh and how we can all relate to this experience. It, it can feel heavy. It can feel like, you know, we're trying so hard to go this way in our lives, to do the right thing, to do what we know we should do. And yet again and again, we'll go the wrong way and do what we hate that we're doing. But this is actually a good sign Because if you have that battle within you, it means that you're being transformed. It means you have the Holy Spirit within you. It means that something is battling your flesh. And that is the desire that God puts within us through the Holy Spirit and to transform us and to change our very desires. So it's actually good news that we have this conflict between our flesh and the Spirit. And the Spirit of us is the part of us that's connected with God. It's through Christ. The Holy Spirit comes and dwells within our spirit. And so that's what we looked at last week. And before we dive into this week, let's just take a minute and give this service over to God in prayer. Father, we thank you so much, as always, for your word that we can look to, that we can just meditate on, seek, and learn more and more about who you are and our relationship with you. And so, Father, we ask that you open our hearts, open our minds, open my heart and my mind as I speak your word, and open all of our hearts, God, that we would receive from you through your spirit what you would have for us today. In Jesus' name, amen. So, as I was reading chapter 6, I kind of felt like the last verse of chapter 5 somehow got mixed up and actually belongs in chapter 6. So we're going to actually start with the very last verse of chapter 5. So that's 526. Uh, and uh, if you don't know, the separations of the chapters in the Bible is not necessarily scientific. It's sometimes a little bit, uh, I don't know, doesn't always fit. Sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. So I really felt like this one actually belongs with the rest. And we're going to be reading the NIV again. Last week I read the ESV because I felt like when it, the way it's described was a little bit more clear, a little bit sharper. But this week we'll go back to the NIV. And as I always like to say, 
If you're here today, or also those, there's, we also have people who are maybe just listening to this online, and you're not a believer, you're just kind of checking this out, we always like to take a moment and encourage you to hang in there, to listen to what, we have, what the message is, and it would be my hope that you're challenged. It would be my hope that you would have questions. And so I like to say that uh, here, questions are very welcomed, and so uh, through you can come to me personally or any of the leaders here personally or any of the array of messaging systems we have, email or Facebook, and uh, with any questions you might have about what we're talking about or any of the details of this. So first, let's read through all of the text. It's a lot, so it's going to take a little while. Starting at verse 26. So let us not become conceited, provoking And envying each other. And then going into chapter 6. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. For each one should carry their own load. Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. Amen, right? Uh, If y'all didn't catch that, he's talking about giving your pastor good gifts. I don't know. Just thought I'd get some amens on that one. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. So, verse 7. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. And I just want to pause really quickly on verse 7 and 8. Reap what you sow. This seems really clear. We're not going to have time to really get into all of the text today, so I want to just kind of mention this is something that Paul that talks a lot about in the chapters previously. So, If you haven't heard, you can listen online, but that's basically if you live by the flesh, you're going to see a result of the flesh. And if you live by the Spirit, you're going to see a result of that. And we'll dive a little bit into that today. So, verse 9, let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap the harvest if we do not give up. And that's, again, what we looked at a few, uh, three weeks ago about running the race to the end, that we want to not just uh, try to run the race a little bit, but we want to run all the way to the finish line. And so it's this idea of the daily walk that we live by the Spirit in our relationship with Jesus. Verse 10, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. See what large letters I use as I write write to you with my own hand, Those who want to impress people by means of the flesh are trying to compel you to be circumcised. The only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. Not even those who are circumcised keep the law, yet they want you to be circumcised that they may boast about your circumcision in the flesh. May I never boast except in the cross of of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. 
Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is the new creation. Peace and mercy to all who follow this rule, to the, to the Israel of God. And Israel of God there is just God's people. That's Christians, all those who have a relationship with him. And that's Jews and Gentiles. And he's obviously making that distinction because he's talking to the Gentiles. And we are a part of the people of Israel now, in that sense. God's people. Verse 17, from now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers and sisters. Amen. So throughout chapter 5, we saw this idea of the Holy Spirit and the aspects of it versus the aspects of the flesh. So we saw these kind of examples of what the flesh produces, jealousy and, and malice and uh, envy and sexual immorality and fits of anger or rage. So these are just some examples of the, uh, the way that the flesh is expressed. And we also saw or compared this with the fruit of the Spirit. So love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So that is kind of these general ideas of what the fruit of the Spirit looks like. But now he's going to be a little bit more practical, what it actually looks like to live this out. So the questions are, you know, where do we start when we're walking by the Spirit? When we're living by the Spirit, where do we start? And what does it really look like in our lives, in the day-to-day in the scope of the beginning of this, what does it look like? So for that, we're going to go back to the first verse we read, 526. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Now there's something really significant in this verse that I want us to notice. And it's kind of, to me, demonstrates the first step in living out the fruit of the Spirit. And it's a reminder that the way we treat others starts with the way that we see ourselves. And that is something we can tend to forget. The beginning of walking by the Spirit and seeing this fruit in our lives, seeing the fruit of the Spirit manifest in our lives, it's not necessarily some kind of mystical experience we may have during worship or prayer. It's not you know, necessarily this kind of overwhelming emotion that we kind of tend to associate with the Holy Spirit, although we can have those experiences, but practically it starts with living out the relationships we have with other people and living out love and gentleness and patience and kindness with the people that we interact with, which is much more difficult. I can be alone in my room and be worshiping God and have an awesome experience, but dealing with people is definitely not always as easy because unfortunately not everybody is equally lovable. We all know that because we all have family and we all have people in our family that we love and not always like. So that's okay. So it's not only this kind of emotional experience it's practical and there's a reason why the first virtue mentioned of the fruit of the spirit is love 
And we looked at last week that fruit of the Spirit is singular. It's not the fruits of the Spirit. It's the fruit of the Spirit, which means all of these, these virtues that are mentioned, and there's more than that, are aspects of what we receive when we have the Holy Spirit living within us. It's part of our transformation. But the first one mentioned is love. The first virtue is love. And there's an importance in that. And this is the real evidence of a changed life. You know, this is the real evidence of kind of seeing the Holy Spirit at work. It's not necessarily the things that are happening to you alone. It's how are you interacting with other people? Because Jesus was the expression of that. So, before I get completely off track, back to the verse that we're looking at. There there are actually three things that I want us to notice with this verse when we kind of start with this idea of looking at ourselves. So it says, don't be conceited. I think we all kind of have a pretty good understanding of what conceited is. It means you have a little bit too much love for yourself. You maybe see yourself a little bit too highly, or you see yourself as too important than, or more important than other people. But he breaks this down into two different expressions of this. When, with his command or his kind of warning of don't be provoking and don't envy. So with provoking, I think it's really clear that this is, this is when we see ourselves as better. We see, hey, I'm, I've got it going on. I've, you know, things are going good for me. I'm in a better, higher place. I'm more educated. I've got more money. I'm better looking, whatever it might be. And this can lead to this spirit of provoking where we're looking down on other people. And it can even manifest itself where it's, it's, it's dangerous and it usually starts in our mind where we start, you know, we look at someone's situation and we think, you know, I'm better than them in a provoking way. But it can lead to where we're actually acting that out and we're actually verbally speaking down into, onto people. And so that's the first side of conceit. But the other one, it's interesting that when he talks about conceit, he mentions not to be envious, that we shouldn't be envying. And this is when we see other people as better off than us, but not in a good way, because that can be a good thing, but it's when we make it about ourselves. So we see other people as as better off than us. They have more money. They are more educated that they have, all of, they have better relationships. And we think to ourselves, well, if I had that, then I could do the things that they're doing. If I had that, then I would be in this position. Then I would be better off. And so really, we're seeing people as better than us in a way that we're making it about ourselves. So we're not like happy for them. We're not encouraged by God's blessing on them. We're conceited. And so the point is this, that provoking, so looking down on others in this kind of negative light that you see yourself as better, or envying where you see them as better off, but it's really, you know, it's kind of, it's their fault that they're better off. Both of these are rooted in conceit. Conceit, that it's really just inward focused is the ultimate definition, I think, here, is no matter how we see the other people around us, it's all about us. And we're always focused on how things affects, affect us or how we see ourselves compared to other people. So that is, uh, and again, it, 
it's not necessarily seeing people. It's okay to, to see people as more important, but we don't want to see them as necessarily just better making it again about ourselves. And what this, what this does is this prevents us from being able to be united with one another. This prevents us from being able to be connected with one another because unity begins with equality. Unity begins with equality. Equality in the way that we see and understand each other. That we see and understand each other as creations of God, as children of God, that we're all equal in his sight. That doesn't mean that we're all at the same level or the same part of journeys. And I mean, obviously that's always different. But we have to have this equality in order for us to have unity. In Romans 12, 3, it says, For by grace... For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. Living by the Spirit and living out God's love starts first with the way that we see ourselves. And so I just want to encourage you guys, let's, Let's be sober judges of our own actions and that we wouldn't be inward focused when it comes to the relationships we have with each other. Because, and when we see this, it, it, it kind of makes it uh, silly to, to judge one another. But let's continue on to verse 2, actually. So chapter 6, verse 2. We're going to jump back to 1 in a minute. Carry each other's burdens. In this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. So, here it's made simple. Our goal is to fulfill the law of Christ. That's where it starts. But what is the law of Christ? We kind of looked at this a couple weeks ago and a little bit last week. But what is the law of Christ? And this, to me, is best described in John 15, verse 12 through 13, where Jesus himself makes it really clear to us. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. We are so tremendously and unbelievably loved by Jesus. And his command to us is not, hey, you know, try, try to love each other, he says, no, love each other like I love you. With this fierce, kind of a passionate, sacrificial love. Because if, if Jesus, the Son of God, who is God, can lay down his life for us and love us the way he loves us, then how can we... I mean, if he brings himself down to equality with us, then we should never have a problem bringing ourselves to equality with each other. We should never have a problem seeing each other on the same plane if Jesus Christ, God incarnate, can come down and be on our level and die for us. And that's the way that he is calling us to love one another. So in our verse, verse 2, it says, carry each other's burdens. 
Now, I want to be clear. First and foremost, Jesus is the carrier of our burdens, right? He said, all those who are weary and heavy laden, come to me and I will give you rest. So that's clear that Jesus is who we should run to first. But I also don't want us to miss the importance that sometimes Jesus sends us to each other as a relief, as as a holder of those burdens, that we're also sometimes the answer to that prayer for each other. This is what church is supposed to be. This is what community is supposed to be, to carry each other's burdens through hard situations that we may face in our lives. To be there to hold each other up, to be there to support one another when we need it. This is the place where that's supposed to happen the most. We should be quick to come here when we're burdened, when we're heavy laden. Yeah, we, we should be spending time in prayer, coming to Christ. God, I have this burden, but he also gives us each other. That's a part of God's plan for church. It's a part of why church was created. And it, it wasn't man's idea to create church, it was God's idea. So we want to be a part of what that idea represents. And for this, I want to switch gears to, a, a, to back to verse 1 where we see another aspect of this loving each other and carrying each other's burdens. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves or you also may, or you also may be tempted. And that word restore is where I, I just find a key phrase key word and it's it's used several times in the new testament in uh, the greek word there is used several times and it's also was a medical term that would mean to like reset a, a broken arm or something uh it was also used when the disciples jesus uh catch uh, sees the disciples as they're bringing in their nets and they were mending their nets because they were breaking and it's that same word to restore so the basic, the idea is to put back in a healthy state, to put back into a right, uh, a right state. And that is important for us. As, our, as a part of our spiritual maturity, as a part of our walking in, in the Spirit and seeing that kind of renewing of our hearts, we want to be watchful for one another. So we want to be there for each other when we have problems, when we're struggling, when we have burdens to carry. But we also want to be there to keep each other in check, to keep each other accountable. That's also a part of God's image for church. And uh, yeah, we should be watchful because we're family. Because we're the adopted, we're adopted sons and daughters. We're brothers and sisters, right? Now I have a sister, I have a little sister. And uh, she's definitely somebody that I love very much. You know, don't always like, but I always love her. And um, if, if she's in trouble, if something, if she's going the wrong direction, if she was, you know, about to do something silly, man, I, I would of course come to her. I would of course approach her. I would of course want to try to give her my opinion, whether she wants to take it or not. Because I love her. And I know that she would do the same for me. And that's this idea. This kind of, okay, we're family. We're brothers and sisters. We want to we keep each other in check 
for the sake of spiritual growth. And uh, it's not always fun to do that. It's not always fun to approach somebody in that way. But it's an act of love and it's a part of carrying the burdens that we have for one that we have in our lives. So uh, verse or Matthew, sorry, Matthew eighteen, fifteen, Jesus kind of gives an example and he goes through a lot, but we're just gonna look at the very beginning. He says, If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. Now, the question is, how do we approach somebody if we see maybe a sin in their lives? And there's, I'm going to go through a couple things that I would say are a, a fairly decent standard to set when it comes to this. First, in the verse, it says gently. And gently, gentleness is a virtue of the Holy Spirit. And we need to have gentleness when we're approaching somebody. And if you don't, if you can't approach them gently, speaking the truth in love, as, as Peter says, then don't do it. <laughs> Just don't do it. Like, don't, if you see somebody who's dealing with something and you feel the need to, you know, put them in their place, that's not gentleness. Just, that's, you can just, you don't qualify. And, uh, we want to do it in love. We want to do it with a spirit of gentleness. And I want to be clear, not everybody's going to listen to you, even if you do do it gently. You do it one-on-one. You come to them right. You love them. You care about them. And you really are hoping to see them direct their lives in the right direction. They still might not listen to you. They may not even like that you're doing it. They might even get angry. But do it anyway. If you're doing it with love, if you're doing it with a gentle spirit, and you're doing it in a, in a right way, just one-on-one, not bringing other people into it, it's, it can be a good thing. And it could be a good thing not only for them, hopefully that God would use you to, to speak into their life, but also it can be a good thing for the relationship. I have people that have done that to me in my life, and it wasn't comfortable, but man, I'm really glad they did, and I love them for doing it. So I can tell you that sometimes it works out well, sometimes it doesn't but we should do it anyway if we're doing it in a spirit of gentleness. But Paul also gives us this warning that I want to be very clear about when it comes to doing this. He says, but watch yourselves or you also may be tempted. Now, I want to point out two ways that this can happen, two ways that we're maybe approaching somebody and we need to be careful. We need to kind of be aware of the situation. So we come to somebody, we confront them, and we seek to restore them. We seek to kind of make them whole again. That's, that's our heart's desire. But instead, we're pulled into the very sin that they're committing. And I think uh, one example I, I think of that happens a lot in churches, not here, of course, but in some churches, is gossip. People talking about each other that's sin. It is sin to gossip. The Bible is very clear. It's not good to talk bad about other people when they're not around. And uh, you might hear someone and you might go over there and be like, all right, you know, hey, I just want to talk to you. That's, you know, it's not a good thing to gossip. And then they're like, well, did you hear about so-and-so? And you're like, oh, well, tell me first and then I'll tell you to stop. And you might get pulled into that very sin that you're trying to direct them away from. So 
And this is what's meant when he says, you who live by the Spirit. And some, the ESV, I like the ESV better, but it says those who are spiritually mature. If you have a maturity in your walk with the Spirit, then you qualify to do this. So he's, he immediately disqualifies. If it's a sin that you're struggling with, if somebody's you know, struggling with maybe lust or something and you are also struggling with it and you go and try to direct them in the right direction, you might both just kind of end up helping each other down the wrong path. So first, be careful when it comes to dealing, or approaching people with things that you really struggle with yourself. That doesn't mean that you can't be a support for each other. There's a place for that too. Hey, I'm struggling with that too. You know, we can, let's pray together. Let's try to beat this together. There is a place for that. But what he's talking about here is really like, hey, I, you know, I, I see that this is a struggle for you. Maybe you're not seeing it as a struggle. And if it's something that you're struggling with too, you probably should be careful about going and approaching them. And the other side of it, the other danger that the temptation we can fall into is judgment. So you come to somebody and maybe it starts off as a good, you know, you want to restore them, you want to love them, but it turns into you want to you want to better them because it makes you feel good about yourself, because it makes you feel like, hey, I'm not struggling with that, you know, but I'll help them. And if it becomes about you, well that goes back to what we started with, that's conceit. That's looking inwardly and provoking and looking down on somebody. And so if that is an issue for you, if you're going to approach somebody with love, but there's a real temptation that you're going to, it's going to turn into something where you're judging them and putting yourself higher than them, then you're just, you're falling into a sin as well. So it's in the text. And so I I feel like we need to talk about this, what it looks like to address sins in each other's lives. And I know that's not something that a lot of people talk about in church. It's not a popular subject, but there, it's, it's just this awesome image of what church can be, where we're really bettering each other. We're really growing as a community. We're really not being there for each other, holding each other's burdens, and also keeping each other accountable. So I think it's, it's definitely worth mentioning. And when it comes to this judgment and the danger of judgment, Paul in Galatians 3 says, If anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deserve themselves. And that's like pretty harsh words, Paul. But that's the idea. So if, you, if you're confronting somebody and it's just going to lead to judgment, it should just be avoided. You don't qualify. There are... There are exceptions to these rules. There are times when, you know, you might be struggling with a sin, but you still feel led to, to maybe help somebody else. There are definitely times where a lot of this is not necessarily black and white science. But I want to give that as an outline so that we are careful, that we're not, we're not just walking into something blind, but that we are really seeking to be a community where we are loving each other in a way that benefits everybody, that benefits both of us. So be careful and keep that, these kind of risks in mind. So moving on to verse 4. I'll read verse 4 and 5. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. For each one should carry their own load. 
Now this, this has really always been a really interesting passage for me because we just, Paul just went on and on and we just went on and on about being there for each other, supporting each other, approaching each other with sins and carrying each other's burdens. And then Paul switches gears and says, no, no, carry your own burdens. And so uh, there's an interesting kind of, it almost feels like he's being like, like this is a contradiction. But just to be clear, now in some translations, it's actually the same word, uh, the very last word, load, your own load. Some, of, some translations say burden. Um, but in Greek, it's two different words. In English now, it is also two different words. But to be very clear, the, the word in verse 2, where he's talking about carrying each other's burdens, it's about an like, excessive weight, an extra load. So it's this kind of these experiences we have where we feel extra weight. We feel like there's just too much for us to handle. But in verse 5, this word is more of like a personal travel pack. It's more like a, a backpack that you would carry when you're traveling. And so it's your own pack. And for this, I want to look at Luke 14, 27, where Jesus says, and whoever does not carry their own carry their cross and follow me, cannot be my disciples. And this is what he means in this section, in this text, that we all have our own cross to bear. We all have our own load that is specifically designed for us in our lives. And what that is, is the the call that God's placed on your lives, the, the person that God's made you to be, and the person you are, it's a part of this kind of cross that we bear that God provides, gives us the provision we need to carry the cross on our own, the cross that he put on our backs. And no two are the same. Everybody has their own experiences, their own struggles that they deal with, their own things that they face that is a part of our walk with Christ. Part of saying it's it's the times where we need to say yes to God, and it's our it, that's on us. It's on us to say yes to Him. And when we stand before God and He says, you know, why why didn't you say yes to that call I put on your life? Why didn't you follow me? I I was there. You can trust me. I had everything you needed. I had everything lined up for you. So that is more of the idea of carrying our own cross. That's and again, this is why it's, it's so silly for us to compare with one another, to, to look on each other as higher or lower, when in reality, we are all on this same plane because everybody has their own cross, but everybody has their own provision. Everybody has the things that God has given them, the strengths that they have to walk the walk that God has set before them. So that is the seemingly contradictory contrad- Diction, contradiction in this passage that I think is really just a different expression of our walk with God, a different expression of living out, walking by the Spirit. So let's finish up and read verse 11. I just want to read really quickly that it says, see what large letters I use to write to you in my own hand. This was something that Paul did a lot in his letters 
at the end of his letters. And it just was to demonstrate how personal and important what he was writing was. And it's a way of expressing that he cared because he would have dictated most of the letter. And at that time, that was quite common to dictate the letter. And uh, so that's why. And apparently he wrote it in very big letters. So it was extra important. I don't know if that made a difference. So I want to skip down now to verse 14 and read 14 to 17. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Neither neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is the new creation. Peace and mercy to all who follow this rule. To the Israel of God. From, From now on, let no one cause me trouble for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. So this, this is the sum of, of Galatians. This is the sum of the letter to the Galatians that Christianity, it, the question is, is Christianity a matter of what I do or what Christ has done? Is it the way that I live? Is it if I do this and this or is it what Christ has done? And that's, where Paul makes this clear distinction. And may I never boast in anything, in anything that I do, in anything that I've done, or anything that I will do, anything I'm capable of doing, I will boast only in the cross. And he ends with this, you know, let no one trouble me because I bear the marks of Jesus. Nobody, I think, faced the hardships that Paul faced. In 2 Corinthians, he goes through just a long, long, long list of all of the things that he's suffered in his life. And he calls them all light and momentary troubles. Because his boast wasn't in what he'd done or what he'd been through. It was only in the cross. And it's only grace. Grace works deep within us. So it's not what... What we do outwardly is a reflection of what's being done inwardly with the grace of God through the Holy Spirit and our relationship with Jesus Christ. What he's doing on the inside reflects in what we do out. That's the evidence of our walk with him. And in 2 Corinthians 5.17, I want to read really quickly. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. And I love that, that image of new creation. A new creation. Not just new ideas. Not just, uh, not, not just moving to a new place. Not just changing an atmospherical thing. It's all about a new creation. That we are different when we have a relationship with Christ. We are made different. And we will see the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. That's a part of that new creation. We are good trees produce good fruit, Jesus said. So, verse 10, in conclusion, almost, says that, uh, therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. I, I know we are the light of the world you know, we are the light and the salt to the world. But I want us to be clear that this starts at home. This starts 
in the family. This starts in the community, in the church, that we need to do all good things. We need to love one another, to carry one another's burdens. I want to invite the band to come up. In verse 18, just so we can read the very last verse again. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers and sisters. Amen. This letter, the letter to the Galatians started with grace to you and it ends with grace. And I love this, I, this image of, of put within your spirit, into that part of us that's connected with Jesus Christ. That grace that goes deep into our spirit, deep into, our, into who we are, that we wouldn't be changed on the surface. We're not changed from the outside in. We're changed from the inside out. And that seed that's planted deep within us, that grace that's given to us, is something that grows slowly, transforming us slowly. So we don't see maybe a change of everything all at once. But as we walk with Christ, and walk with the Spirit, we see this growth and this change and this fruit produced in our lives. And with this idea, I want to end with this idea of, of being there for each other, being a support to one another. And I actually had a really, I had a rough week, and um, I just kind of wrote something down that was on my heart and kind of molded it a little bit. And I just want to read this to you guys that when it comes to uh, our lives and our journey, so... All through our lives, we travel on this journey that takes us down all sorts of roads that leads us to all sorts of places. And many things we just can't be ready for and we can't carry on our own. In those times, it's the people that are standing next to us that may be the ones that keep us above the water as the waves come crashing down on us when we least expect it. We are the church, and we are family. Not all of us may be equally as lovable as others at all times. But as a family, we love one another, and we support one another. We stand with one another, and we do it with absolute equality. With the love and acceptance that we've received from Jesus himself. So... I want to encourage you guys with that. And let's, let's, let's stand. Let's worship together. We're going to do one more song. And uh, just remember that Jesus is on our side. That's what we're going to be singing. And that we're also there for one another.